Welcome to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. We are a Bible-believing church located in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. We are proudly part of the Christian Fellowship Ministries with 3,000 churches around the world. We are a church focused on world evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Here we will share recent sermons from PHSA Church and other sermons from throughout our fellowship. I am Pastor David Bickford, and I will be your host for this podcast. I thank you for listening today, and we hope these messages are a blessing to you and bring you closer to God. Hey, and welcome back to the Potter's House podcast in Seminar in British Columbia. My name is David Bickford, and I am the pastor here at the uh, at the Potter's House. and. Um, Yeah, today's message I have put together is called God Wants Your Heart, and a subheading for this message is The Rest Will Come in Time. I think it's important for us to always recognize that as in our Christian walk, that we always want to try to make things a lot more difficult than they they really need to be. You know, as long as you're moving towards Christ with a desire to become just like you know, like the name Christian and titles to be more Christ-like, then that is the right path. Now, now with that, it's it's you know, I'm not I'm not putting aside theology. I, I do believe a lot of that, you know, all that stuff is important. But my point is, is that he if you give him your heart, the rest will come in time. So our text that we'll be working off of today is going to be John 3, 16 through 17. So if you have your Bible, if you're if you're following along, you can turn to that that portion of scripture. That'll be our launching off point. Before I get into that, I want to you know go a couple into a few illustrations that I've I've found that I believe are important or they kind of help us with this message. The first one is it's a, a quote from Steve Jobs. It says, Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of the rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. But the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as crazy ones, we see the genius because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. Now, with that, I I don't want to reference too heavily the thought of of being a rule breaker because in Christ Jesus he is the fulfillment of the law and so he did not break the law but he fulfilled the law but still we'll come back to that i i do believe there's quite a bit of wisdom from this quote from Steve Jobs and we'll be able to pull this in and and a, you know use the scripture to kind of get a little bit more clarity i found another one though for an illustration it's called a google search for Gaga changed my life gets 4 million results. Lady Gaga identifies the world or identifies with the world's misfits. So this is a little bit of a longer one, but it's a, and here's the editor's note. It's easy to focus on what we don't like about the lifestyle and songs of the pop singer, Lady Gaga. But this story reveals why millions of young people identify with her and why the church might be missing an opportunity to love the world's misfits. So the article reads, Lady Gaga has sold over 64 million singles and won five Grammy Awards. She's one of the most popular social media voices in the world with more than 33 million Twitter followers and 55 million Facebook fans. The pop singer also has attracted millions of fans around the globe who claim that she has changed their lives for the better. 
A Google search for uh, Gaga changed my life gets 4 million results. Marketing expert Jackie Hubba argues that many of Gaga's fans identify with her concerns or concern for outcasts and the misfits. In an emotional MTV interview, Lady Gaga recounts some of the shame and humiliation from high school that helped mold her and her life and, and left lasting deep scars. The boys picked me up and threw me in the trash can on the street on the corner of my block while all other girls from the school were leaving and could see me in the trash. Everybody was laughing and I was even laughing. I had that nervous giggle. I remember even one of the girls looking at me. Are you about to cry? You're pathetic. Out of her own feelings of being a misfit, Lady Gaga has created a community of outcasts. When old friends attended one of her shows, they told her, Gaga, your fans are all of the misfits. They are all the kinds of kids in school that everybody made fun of. She later told MTV, all the weird kids, the artistic kids, all the bad ones. And I love that because that's who I was. We're all together and they get it. It's our own little world. In Romans 12, 16, it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So let's look at our scripture this morning, our primary text, which is John 3, 16 through 17. And it says, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is my favorite part, though. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The message is one of redemption. It's not, it's not a it's not one of condemnation. It's one of salvation. It's one of taking someone who's sinking in the sea that is the world of sin and throwing them a lifeline and pulling them out of the predicament that they find themselves in. It's it's the saving of people who feel like they are misfits, but really what they are is they're just lacking Christ in their lives oftentimes. In Matthew 9.10, it says, uh, 9.10-13, And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and, and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not in, not to call the righteous, but the sinners. The importance here is that we are called to look beyond what is considered the right people or the uh, the popular people in our society. We are called to look beyond that and to see all people the way Jesus sees people, seeing people in need as the people that we are supposed to go out and minister to. So why does God pick the misfits, the outcasts, and the oddballs then? Because that's what he did in his time in society is he went to the he went to the parts of the Jewish community that were being neglected by the Pharisees and the Sadducees at the time. Throughout the entirety of the Bible, we see this trend. The trend is that God's choice for the oddballs and the rejects and the misfits. This permeates both the Old and the New Testament. After the fall of man being cast out of the garden, it became clear that many of the earth shakers in the kingdom of God were, were characters. They were oddballs. The story of Noah gives us a picture of a man and his family building a massive ship away from the ocean and the sea. What kind of man would have the faith to start a project of this type? 
then to go on for years building while being mocked and ridiculed by all his community. He would have hired help to help him build this. And they would have been like, this is the, most, the dumbest thing ever, but at least I'm getting paid, right? They would have been mocking him even while working. We can look at this story and move into our day and age by looking at those who've created unimaginable creations in our time, like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Henry Ford, Nikola Tesla, and many others, the true, truly oddball innovators of our time. We can see that it takes these type of men and women to push the boundaries in our society. Now, when we go back to the word of God, we see this thread continued. We have the fathers of our faith, Abraham. As we venture further, we have Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the judges, King David, the prophets, even Mary and Joseph. God works through the outcasts. He works with these oddballs because it is those who are willing to preach unashamed of the gospel and to rise above their humble beginnings and fully serve our Savior. My first point here is that God's always picking these oddballs and, and the God's Old Testament picks really start to highlight a trend for us. Imagine having a conversation with Jacob, explaining your God to a polytheistic pagan. Most of the world worshipped many gods and carried idols with them everywhere. Now, if you ask Jacob to explain his God, you could picture him saying, I do not carry idols for my God, for he is a spirit and invisible to man, except that time when I wrestled him and he broke my hip and changed my name to Israel. How crazy does that sound in the context of the time, and how much more crazy does it sound to our ears today? Joseph is similar when you consider his dream of ruling over his brothers and his father, who was Jacob, Israel. In fact, it was so out there that his father even rebuked him at the time. He was such a reject, a misfit, an oddball that his brothers sold him into captivity. This didn't detour Joseph, though. He clung to his faith and was truly risen up. And the godly dream was realized when he, when, when he was the salvation for his not only his family, but for the entire kingdom of Egypt. He became the second highest governor of Egypt, just under the Pharaoh. So we've looked so far at Noah, Jacob, and Joseph, but we have not even scratched the surface. We have Moses. I met God at a fiery shrub. In the book of Exodus, we get introduced to Moses, given up by his mother and, and by God's hand adopted into the Pharaoh's house. He was raised as a prince, but became an outlaw and a murderer. Fleeing into the wilderness after being rebuked by his Hebrew brothers, he stayed in the desert, finding a wife and becoming a shepherd. It was here that he encountered the burning bush. It was in this obscurity that he met with God, and from that place of obscurity that he was led back to free his people from Egyptian rule. Moses was called out of the shadows, but he remained an oddity to those he served. It was clear that God was with him, but regardless, he was still very isolated. Later on, we have King David, the lion slayer, the giant destroyer, and a sinner, and more. So my favorite character in all the Bible is, is David. And it's not because my name is David. It's, it's more than that. Yes, I know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the primaries in the Bible, but it's the story of David that shows us how we can serve God with humility and despite our own failings. David was taken from the fields. His own dad overlooked him when the prophet Samuel asked to see the sons of Jesse. He was the son that rose up for, for Israel and defeated Goliath, and he was rewarded with hate from King Saul. 
hiding and running from Saul until Saul's death. Once coronated as king, he succumbed to temptation and became an adulterer and conspired to kill the husband of Bathsheba, his friend. It is through all of David's ups and downs that we see how we can still come to the Lord for forgiveness. We can praise our Lord, worship our Lord, and when we mess up, we can repent and be forgiven. David's life was very difficult, but he is noted in the Bible as a man after God's heart. His ultimate claim to fame is not his nobility, his royalty, but rather that he was a servant of the Lord. We then have the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and John the Baptist. In 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21, it says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen, sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. These are some weird, weird stories. That's like Elisha, Elijah's second. You know, it's his origin story. It's like weird stories. Jeremiah 1, 5. Before I was formed, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet of nations. Ezekiel 3, 17. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them a warning from me. Ezekiel 3, 26 through 27. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse for their rebellious house. Now, here's a guy. He's a prophet. But every time he's not talking the words of God, and when he's not prophesying, he's got his tongue sticking. So he can't talk. That's a pretty odd guy. This brings me. To my, my second point, which is Jesus and the New Testament picks. This, this thread of picking people who the world might not think are the right choices, but God can see past that and can see through that and see the perfect choice, even amongst, you know, the oddballs, if you will. So we have John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts with wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So the first thing we get to see is we get to see this oddball out in the wilderness preaching about repentance and baptism. And then we have all the disciples, the fishermen. Simon Peter, son of Jonah, or Jonas, was a fisherman and an impetuous man. He was emotional always, and he spoke whatever was on his mind, and he was very impulsive. Andrew, son of Jonas, the brother of Simon Peter, 
Like his brother, he was also a fisherman, lived in Bethesda, Capernaum. Originally, he was a disciple of John the Baptist, but left to follow Jesus. So here we got another guy. Here's a guy. He's not only a fisherman, which fishermen were looked pretty down upon in Jewish society. It's a pretty low labor position. But not only that, but he follows that crazy guy on the desert, desert eating locusts with honey. James, son of Zebedee, and Salome, brother of Apostle John, James the Greater, was the first martyr among the 12 disciples and the only one recorded in the Bible. Another fisherman as well. And then John, son of Zebedee, brother of, the, of James that we just said. And he was also known as John the Evangelist. He wrote the Gospel of, of uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. Judas Thaddeus, also known as Jude or Libius, was the son of Alphaeus and Cleo, Cleophas and Mary. He lived in Galilee, Galilee and was a brother of James the Younger, and he was also called Judas the Zealot. So like Simeon or Simon, he was an intense and violent nationalist with the dreams of world power and domination by the chosen people. So these are the fishermen, but these are the guys like you're like, man, these guys are weirdos already. The lesser known ones like Philip, they say he becomes a living personality in the Gospel of John. And then we have Bartholomew, who's also called Nathaniel, who is a true Israelite, and there's nothing false that anybody can say about him. But these are like lesser known guys. James, also James the Less, who's son of Alphaeus and Mary. And he was also like the brother of Jude who lived in Galilee. He was the oldest amongst the 12 disciples, but unlike James the Greater, he is one of the most obscure apostles. So here we got we got some weirdos like the fishermen. And then we got these guys that are like rejects or like just kind of out in the outskirts. Nobody cares who they are. But then we come now to the disreputable apostles. We have Matthew, also known as Levi, was a son of Alphaeus who lived in Capernaum. And he was a publican, a tax collector, one of the most despised people in Jewish culture. He worked for the, you know, the oppressive Romans collecting taxes. Thomas Didymus often referred to as doubting Thomas lived in Galilee. He was a pessimist, a bewildered man, a man who couldn't believe until he had seen. And so we always have that story about the doubting Thomas. He didn't believe unless he could see. And then last, we have a uh, we have Simon the Zealot, who was a Canaanite who lived in Galilee. He is also one of the less known disciples in the Bible. But interestingly, his name was only mentioned three times in the Bible. So we don't know about him except that he was a zealot. Zealots were part of that fanatical Jewish nationalist group who had a heroic disregard for the suffering involved and the struggle for what they regarded as the purity of their faith. These were, these were <clears throat> extremists, religious extremists of the time, if you will. But they were crazed with hatred for the Roman Empire. And then, of course, I didn't touch on it too much, but you have Judas Iscariot, who's the betrayer. Interesting thing about Judas is that he's the most famous or reputable of the disciples. He was someone that was considered good with money. He was their treasurer. And so it's it's very interesting, though, that he is the one who, who's most reputable, who ends up being the one to betray our Lord. And this brings me to my final point. The rest will come. The least likely apostle. The special apostleship of Paul who is also known as Saul. There's, however, this special apostolic office that we that given to a man named Paul who had never shared the public ministry of Jesus, but stood witness to the grace of God. The apostle to the Gentiles, 
It is this unique purpose of Paul. He wasn't part of the 12, but the 12 apostles accepted him as someone sharing their tasks and responsibilities, 2 Peter 3.15. Paul, a former persecutor of Christians, encountered Jesus through a blinding light that speaks to him on his way to Damascus. After this encounter, he lived a changed life, declaring the grace of God and his good news. Paul was not part of the Twelve, but was considered as an apostle for those who do not belong to the tribe of Israel, the Gentiles. Because of his calling, other nations received God's salvation. Paul was the least likely to be called by Jesus, but regardless, he came face to face with our Savior, and this meeting left Paul blind and all his beliefs shaken. This led to his powerful conversion, and he moved from persecutor and killer of Christians to one of the most devout and important preachers of the gospel. As the apostle to the Gentiles, it is Paul that we have most to thank for his ministry and bringing the good news to the Gentile world and his challenging of even Peter to live according to the words of Jesus and the mission of Christ. So we oddballs and misfits, by looking at all these characters, it's important to know that this is only, only scratches the surface. There are a number of other women who followed Jesus and other men who were called to, you know, who God called. Many of these were prostitutes, Gentiles, and others that society deemed unworthy. The key to all of this is that we are never beyond redemption and salvation. That is why even if we are at the end time, we are called to push forward. We are meant to recognize the time continually moving forward with a purpose of Christ. We are called to preach to every living creature. You cannot shut down when you are fearful, when you feel unworthy. It is in Christ in you that empowers us and wills us to work through it in his will to work through us. So we must remember all these outcasts and misfits and understand that God loves all of us. And it isn't often the most unlikely people that God chooses for the highest and most impactful ministries. Like Moses in the wilderness or David in the fields, God chooses those who will give them his, their heart. Judas Iscariot had all the training and skills, but he refused to give Jesus his heart. And it was here where he was, he became willing to betray our Savior. So Jesus chooses us, and he has chosen you too. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of the works, so that no one can may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we should walk in them. So in closing, if I got to you know, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're driving, keep 10 and 2 on the drive. You know, keep your eyes open. Keep your hands 10 and 2. For everybody else, every head bowed, every eye closed. It's time to give Jesus Christ your heart. Give him your heart fully, and all the rest will come in time. He will strengthen you. He will help you. He will up will uplift you. And he knows that it is not easy. He knows that there are times when we'll falter, but we will be, but he will be there to pick you up again and again. Give him your heart because he has already given you his life as a sacrifice that you might be saved. If this message has resonated with you and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you signify that with an uplifted hand. I can't see it, but God can. And just say after me, dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. But I know that you sent your son Jesus and he died on the cross for me. I turn from my sin and I accept him as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. That simple prayer is a prayer of salvation. It's a recognition of sin, a recognition of Christ's divinity and his lordship over your life. I pray that this message will have impacted you 
And I'm going to close in a quick prayer before we go. But I, I do pray that the Lord touches you today. Dear Lord God, I give you all the praise and glory. I thank you for picking me, the oddball that I am, the reject that I am, and knowing, Lord God, that you see past all of our, our issues and our problems, and that it is in your holy name that you have given us a better purpose. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and I can't wait for you to come back next time. Thank you for listening to the PHSA Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Potter's House underscore Salmon Arm to keep up to date on what we are doing. Join the conversation and discover how Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life. Thank you.